I want to welcome you to Christ Journey Church from wherever you may be joining us today, whether Gables Campus, Kindle Campus, we love you, or somewhere on this great, big, beautiful planet through Church Online. I greet you today in the spirit of grace and truth. Anyone else's kids wake up early in the morning? My kids wake up somewhere between 5 and 6 a.m. every morning, ready to rock and roll. They literally run out of the room as soon as their feet hit the floor. One morning, even my, my son Levi woke up like this and just bolted out of the bed and ran down the hallway. They get this from their mother, <laughs> but I'm learning how to really enjoy it. Some of my favorite moments with them have happened during our early morning father adventures together, which always involves us cooking breakfast to, to some extent. Since my daughter Hannah was little, she has wanted to help with anything and everything that she could do and then eventually do those things on her own, by herself. Cooking is one such thing. It's become a kind of canvas for her creativity. In the recent months, I've been helping her learn how to crack the eggs, measure the milk, stir the pancake mix. She knows where we store all of our pots and pans, where to find the ingredients. Truly, she's become one fine little sous chef. Now, my son Levi, on the other hand, Levi, who just turned two, has been noticing all the seemingly fun things that Hannah has learned how to do in the kitchen and has developed this crazy FOMO over it, this fear of missing out over everything that Hannah can do. And so recently he asked me so politely if he could help me scramble the eggs one morning. Well, in our family, we have a rule. And the rule in the kitchen is that only mommy and daddy are allowed to touch the stove. And so I looked at Levi and I said, no, buddy, you may not stir the scrambled eggs. And so he looked at the pancakes and he said, daddy, please, please. Meaning he wanted to flip the pancake. And I said, no, buddy, you may not flip the pancake either. And so he reaches up and touches the knobs on the stove and he says, daddy, please. And I say, no, buddy. And then so sweetly, he looks at me right in the eye and he says, please, daddy, please, daddy. And I said, no, Levi, you may not touch the stove. And he looks at me so sweetly and he says, please, dad, dad, please, dad, dad. And I said, Levi, you may not touch the stove. Well, all of a sudden, Levi, he turned green and he grew these big muscles and he tore through his pajama shirt. Well, not really, but he did grab me by my shirt and he said, please, daddy, please, please. <laughs> Honestly, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or to take cover from my son. I, I had never before seen him speak to me like this before. He wasn't begging me. Levi wasn't begging me. Levi was asserting his power over me. He was confronting his will against mine. Make no mistake, in the kitchen that morning, my son engaged me in a power struggle conversation, which for me at least was a bit humorous, but for him, for Levi, it meant everything in that moment. Our experience that morning highlights a, a kind of a microcosm of sorts of what you and I encounter daily within ourselves daily between others, against systems, structures, and the institutions of our world, even amongst nations, against other nations. And that is this, the raw, complex struggle for power. 
Power is the currency of human interaction, is it not? It's the most basic property of life. Power is to human relationships what the atom is to the physical world. It is the foundation on which every human being relates and it can be expressed in an infinite number of ways, either for the benefit or for the destruction of others. Power is also not value neutral, is it? It will take a side either for good or for evil. The old saying, the sum is greater than its parts, bears out in our lives when the power of human potential is unleashed for the good of others. But abused power, however, abused power can steal, kill, and destroy without any remorse. Power's also got this shapeless quality to it. It isn't necessarily measured by the size of a gun or the crowd at the square, but power can ripple throughout the world through the simple stroke of a pen or even through the whisper of a song. Power is also volatile, kind of like plutonium, power charged to either lighten a city or obliterate it. Power must be safeguarded and placed under strict boundaries in order to steward its potential. And then also power is inevitable. Everybody has some of it and everybody wants more of it. Don't we not? The longing and desire for every person to some extent is to say, I've got the power. I've got the power. That's right. I've, but the deeper question, the deeper question of the human experience really is this one. Who's got the power? Who's got the power? This question couldn't be more timely given our current political and cultural climates. Regardless of how you vote, what you believe, how much money you make, or whatever, no other time in world history have we ever witnessed such an upset of the established power structures in our world. Radical globalization, accompanied by the sways of postmodernism, have shifted powers from those who've never known their personal life or generational history without it to those who've never experienced it. And so who's got the power? Is it you or is it me? Or could it possibly be, just maybe be, from another source entirely? But if I don't have it, then how do I get more of it? And will the person who does have it, will that person care for me? Will that person care for those whom I love? And will my needs be met? Will I be okay? These are the real questions that we're asking of power because the dirty little secret about power is this. None of us have it completely. All of us are asking who's got the power and who will get more of it. The good news about Jesus answers this question through the power of a conversation. And no other conversation carried as much life and death significance than Jesus's confrontation with power at the end of his life. John recorded two conversations between Jesus and a Roman governor named Pilate, the A sides and the B sides of the conversation. Jesus and Pilate side A begins in chapter 18, verse 33, with Pilate doing this. Pilate then went back into the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him this question. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Well, is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Well, am I, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and the chief priest handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? We can sense even in the early tone of this conversation that Pilate felt the tension of this conversation. And we'll learn why in just a moment. Well, Jesus responded to Pilate saying this, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Here again, Jesus created a conversation through what? Through a question. A question. But this time on the other side of Jesus' conversation stood a Roman governor named Pilate, a self-interested, self-conflicted leader who we will come to see sought to preserve his own positional seat of power and authority because any threat to his power ultimately meant a threat on his own life. If a Roman emperor felt apprehensive about a governor's ability to rule, then no one prevented that emperor from making a directive for that governor to end his own life. And believe it or not, that was a frequent occurrence among governors. So imagine being in that context, ruling under that kind of fear. Well, the chief priests knew this and they took advantage of it. They leveraged Pilate's fear when they brought Jesus before him and charged Jesus with his unlawful declaration to another kingdom. This charge was the most grievous charge in the empire and it resulted in immediate death, regardless of whether or not those charges proved true. The empire didn't, didn't operate under the assumption of innocence until proven guilty. And so for Pilate, truly in this moment, in this conversation, for Pilate, truly two lives hung in the balance with this conversation, Jesus's life and also Pilate's life. If Pilate didn't put Jesus to death, then no doubt Rome probably would have put Pilate to death. And here's one thing we can assume about Pilate is that Pilate wasn't going to sacrifice his own life in order to spare the life of some unknown Jewish prophet, so, so to speak, Jewish prophet. And aware of this conversation, aware of everything taking place, Jesus still, still engaged the conversation with Pilate. Jesus still gave Pilate dignity by engaging the conversation with him and asking a question as Jesus spoke truth to power, knowing full well what his fate probably held. Jesus leveraged this opportunity. He leveraged this conversation with Pilate to tell Pilate this, that my kingdom is from another place. My kingdom is from another place. Neither the political power of the empire nor the religious power of the elite chief priests reflected the true power of Jesus's kingdom. And that kingdom, Jesus says, that kingdom is my kingdom. And it's free from the brokenness of our world. It's free from the evil of this world. Jesus's kingdom isn't from this world, but it's entirely for this world entirely for this world. How do we know this? Because Jesus's entire life on this side of heaven bore witness to how much Jesus desires for us to live with him as his princes and princesses in his kingdom. So much so, so much so that less than 12 hours after this conversation ended, Jesus would be dead in order to bear witness to that kingdom. And so Pilate continued, you, you are a king then, said Pilate. Well, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Listen, Pilate's just trying to give the facts. Is Jesus or is Jesus not a king? 
If he is, then let's execute him. But if not, then let's free him. As the governor, Pilate anticipated kings from other kingdoms to attempt overthrows and coups. That's what powers do against other powers. Uh, powers try to gobble up other powers. They try to grow their own power to become more powerful. But Pilate, however, isn't making the connection that Jesus's kingdom comes from another place entirely, whose kingdom expansion comes by way of truth, not might. In the opening preface to his letter, John wrote, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. John tells us here that Jesus incarnated God's truth and entered into our world in order to testify to it. But Pilate missed it. Pilate missed truth standing right in front of his face staring at him even, Pilate staring at Jesus even, asked him this question, what is truth? What, what is truth? And this I contend is the question of all questions. This is the question of every kingdom. This is the question of every institution. This is the question of every human being. What is truth? But it is the one question that power itself cannot answer. Power cannot answer this question. And interestingly, in this conversation, Jesus didn't answer this question explicitly either because he didn't need to. Jesus didn't need to answer this question. Jesus is the truth. Jesus himself is the way is the truth, is the life. Jesus's kingdom isn't ruled by fear. It's, it doesn't advance through military might. It isn't elected. Rather, Jesus's kingdom exists wherever grace and truth exists. His kingdom advances as we walk in the way of our true king, in the way of grace and truth. And Pilate missed it. The empires of our world often do. The empires of our own hearts often do too. Pilate was blinded by his own pursuit and preservation of power. And I think for a lot of us, our own pursuits and our own preservation of power often keep us from seeing truth when it stands right in front of our face. Like many of us, Pilate probably thought he knew what truth looked like. He probably thought it looked like a, a Roman emperor who could literally take his life with the snap of a finger. In our world, we tend to confuse power with truth. We tend to think that whoever has the power makes the truth. What does that kind of truth look like for you? I think sometimes we tangle up truth with political policies and agendas. Other times we confuse truth with the loudest cultural voice screaming in our ears or the latest song that tugs on our heartstrings or catches our raw emotion. Sometimes truth gets messy when someone we love makes a passionate plea. Truth gets tangled up in so many layers of our policies and agendas, our families, our relationships, and our also, believe it or not, even our own personal affections. It does for all of us. All of us tangle up truth like that, myself included. That's why this conversation with Pilate matters so much today. It matters so much today what Pilate asked, what is truth? Because this is our question too. 
And Jesus answers this question on the B sides of the conversation, beginning in chapter 19, verse nine. Pilate asked Jesus, where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize, Pilate says, that I have the power. I have the power to either free you or to crucify you. Yeah, Pilate's feeling it. He's feeling the power. Pilate's frustrated. He's conflicted. I think he knows that Jesus is innocent. I really do. I think he knows deep down inside that Jesus is innocent of this claim. But no doubt he's feeling the weight of the chief priests and the Roman emperor bearing down on his own self-preservation. And so instead, Pilate changes tactics. No more good cop says Pilate. He threatens his own power against Jesus. Pilate wants Jesus to either confess his own kingship or his innocence. So you choose, Pilate says, you choose life or death. You decide and I'll act. This is how transactional power works. This is transactional power in life right here. You do something for me and I'll do something for you. You hurt me and I'll hurt you. You decide how I treat you. Rather than me give you the dignity of a human being that you deserve, you treat me how, you decide how I treat you. Jesus gave dignity to Pilate despite whatever outcome occurred from this conversation. But Pilate, on the other hand, Pilate transacts with Jesus in this B side of the conversation. And transactional power is always futile. It's hopeless. It always leads to either angst for the one on the top or fear for the one on the bottom. But ultimately, however, neither one ever feels free and neither one ever feels safe. I think a lot of our relationships, our personal relationships, our business relationships, collegial relationships, I think live in this transactional power zone. What, what's the most I can get from you while giving you the least from me? And this I wanna, I wanna claim is the root of every sin. This is the root of every sin. What do I need to, to do in order to take and keep my power? This is Genesis 3, 5, alive in our world and working itself out in our lives. You will be like God. This is the temptation of the evil one. It's power. Power is the temptation of the evil one. And power is the trump card that Pilate used on Jesus on the B side of this conversation. I've got the power of life and death over you. Don't you realize this, Jesus? And Jesus, so Jesus answered Pilate saying this, and this is one of the most fascinating statements I think that Jesus makes, if not in his whole ministry, then at least in this conversation. He says this to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. <laughs> what, what an audacious claim. Essentially, Jesus says, I'm not under your power, Pilate. I'm not under your authority. I'm under the power of the one who sent me, who happens to be the same one who gave you your power. All power, Jesus says, derives from God, who graciously entrusts power to some, even to those who may later use their power for their own wickedness and evil ways. Even Jesus himself, the incarnate God, doesn't challenge Pilate's authority. Rather, into the eyes of one of the most powerful men on earth at that time, Jesus says, any power you think you have, even over my life, 
all comes from my kingdom. It all flows from my kingdom, Pilate. So you wouldn't have it unless I hadn't already given it to you. Can you imagine that? Just think about that. No human being contains some kind of secret wellspring of endless power. Power doesn't come from us. It doesn't originate from us. All powers, all empires, all people hold their power and ultimate authority under God. And somehow in the mystery of God's freedom toward us, we can determine how we use it. I don't pretend to understand how this works, but it must be the fact that God desires for us to use our own will so that we can offer it as a sacrifice to God. You know, underneath our English translation of power is a Greek wordplay here between Pilate's understanding of power and Jesus's understanding of power. Both Pilate and Jesus use this Greek word called exousia, which literally means power, but whose root derives from a, a mashup of two other Greek words called ek and ami. Ek and ami. Ek and ami mean exousia when you put them together. Now, ek means out of, but get this. Ami means I am literally means I am. Pilate means to say that power derives from out of me, out of my will, out of my own volition to make my decisions with my way to assert myself. That's how Pilate intended to use the word exousia. But Jesus, however, Jesus said that all power comes from above, out of I am. And the first century listeners who would have understood the word play and heard within it the ancient Hebrew name for God. I am. I am. Exousia, true power, as declared by Jesus, comes from the great I am. Throughout the writings of the Bible, the authors analogize God's power as the great I am to rushing waters and mighty streams, like a, like a Niagara Falls, unceasing and unrestrained. Whereas in comparison, our lives are like a, a cracked, leaky thimble. We're, we're cracked, leaky thimbles longing for fulfillment and satisfaction. And if we believe that power comes from out of me, then we'll be tempted to believe that we can only be filled by other cracked, leaky thimbles. Hence why we try to control and manipulate one another. Why, why we try to take what's in each other's cracked, leaky thimbles. Why, why we, why we, burn with thimble jealousy against each other. Why we start little thimble wars against each other. Whereas if we just changed our perspectives, then our lives could actually be filled by the unceasing, unrestrained power of God's grace and truth, of God's satisfaction. And we may experience the power of the great I am filling our cracked, leaky lives. Our cracked thimble lives can be filled so long as we live as surrendered men and women to the one from whom all power derives. And we could do this in a few ways. We could do this first by being in it, but not of it. Be in the world, but not of the world. Be in power, but not of power. 
So accept your position of power, but don't abuse your power. Jesus was God and possessed all the power of heaven and earth, but Jesus didn't abuse it. Instead, Jesus leveraged every bit of his power to testify to the real source of truth. Power is not value neutral, which means you can utilize your positional authority in whatever capacity you sit for good. Every act of power should be shaded in all colors of grace and truth. Every time you use your power toward that end, toward the end of grace and truth, you bear witness to God's goodness, to God's power in this world. Even, check this out, even if you didn't evoke the name of Jesus when you did it. Now, how so? Because you represented a truthful expression of power, which proclaims in our broken world, who owns the power? And that, that oftentimes shouts so much louder than words. Every time you honor others with your power, every time you do good with your power, every time you maintain your integrity and character with your power and live with humility, you point your power upward and reflect the goodness of our true King. Secondly, you can participate in it, but don't be possessed by it. Participate in power, but don't be possessed by power. Who owns your heart? Really? Who owns your heart? Does Jesus own your heart? Or does some political affiliation, some agenda, some brand own your heart? Participate in power. Get into proximity of it. Invest your time into people of influence and authority. Listen, listen to people in power with intent. Seek to understand them. Ask good questions of people in power. Hold them responsible. Keep the conversation open with them. Speak truth to power, respect those in power, but seek also to invite those in seats of power into Jesus's story and help them understand indeed who owns their power. You know, sometimes I wonder what Jesus might say to those in positions of high seats of power and authority in our nation, around the world, presidents, CEOs, people leading big organizations, what would Jesus say to those people in positions of power? I think the conversation might look a lot different than what you, you and I would expect. I think Jesus would ask a lot of questions because we see that happening in every conversation Jesus engages in. I think Jesus would listen well. I think he would show dignity and respect and graciously tell the truth, not front the other side of the argument, but Jesus would tell the truth about a different kingdom altogether. As Jesus' followers what if we did the same? What if we engaged the conversation with the powers of our world, with the powers of our organizations, with the powers in our sphere of life in the same way? So let's speak with grace and truth. Not the kind of truth that blinds other people, not the kind of truth that smacks people in the face, but the kind of truth that frees. So let's participate in it, but don't be possessed by it. And then finally associate with it but don't align to it. Your alliance belongs to Christ and Christ alone. Paul wrote in a second letter to the Corinthian church, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You are an ambassador of the true King with all the power and rights bestowed upon you by Jesus. To align your heart elsewhere would be to rebel against Jesus's kingdom. 
but we need to associate with other powers and get within range of those other powers so that those people might hear the good news of this kingdom, this good news of salvation, of new life, of forgiveness. So don't be ashamed of what you believe. The enemy exploits those weaknesses and tempts us to align with whatever power may be shouting the loudest. I mean, aren't we always just one decision away from becoming a pilot in someone else's life? making up our own truth and washing our hands of it, letting our decisions fall wherever they may. We're seeing this happen everywhere in our world. There's a pilot in all of us living in the shadows of our heart. But if you maintain a Jesus perspective on power, then all of a sudden, none of those other powers will ever have any control over you. Rather, as an ambassador of the true King, Jesus promises to guard your heart and mind and offer you peace that transcends all understanding in the face of whatever obstacle comes your way. Today's Palm Sunday, when we remember King Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, proclaiming the kingdom of God, not on a stallion, but on a donkey. When we remember the greatest display of leadership ever recorded in the history of our world, not from a C-suite office, but from God incarnate who derobed and humiliated himself to wash the feet of his closest followers. You want the power? Man, you can have the power. You really, you can have the power, but it looks like that. It looks like that kind of humility, power through servant leadership, power expressed through grace and truth. You are the conduit of Holy Spirit, mega dynamite energy living inside of you. That's the literal translation of power from Ephesians 3.20. You have the power to extend an invitation of freedom. You have the power to help others find Jesus. And Easter is the greatest opportunity to invite. So use your power. Use your mega dynamite energy living inside of you to extend an invitation to love well and to speak the truth. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you that you extended to us through your son crucified on the cross who rose again three days later, the power, the mega dynamite energy power living inside of us to help others find you and to help others follow you. God, thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with this. Thank you for not wiping us away during those moments when we chose to take that power upon ourselves and make our own way. God, thank you for not forsaking us, but rather God, thank you for forgiving us and giving us new life in your name, giving us power in your name. Lord, give us the courage to speak truth to power, to bear witness to your truth and to walk the way of your kingdom. God, help us. Give us courage to do so. For those of you today who want to make a change, who want to live differently, who want to stop clinging on to your own power and instead hold on to the power from whom all power derives, then would you pray this prayer with me today? Heavenly Father, I admit that I've been clinging on to my power for far too long. And I admit that I've gone my own way and maybe have even hurt people along the way. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for, for calling myself the Lord of my life. Forgive me for the hurts that I've caused others. 
And Lord, today, help me make a change by the power of your Holy Spirit to live in the way of your kingdom. Help me accept this by grace through faith in you as I make this prayer in your name. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you raise your hand and allow me to see you and bless you? If you're joining us online, then you can click the orange banner underneath this video. The Kindle campus, there's a pastor waiting for you, looking for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for those today who, who've experienced and who have discovered their salvation in you. Lord, thank you for them. Lord, thank you for this church, for the power that you've bestowed upon this church to do this good work. And so now as we turn our attention to our, our families, to our work, to our friendships and relationships, God, help us, help us utilize our power for your good as we make this prayer in your name. Amen.